Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Reddit Readings, the best show on the internet. Oh, it's Wednesday. I bet you weren't expecting this. I bet this just slipped into your feed, didn't it? Hmm, oh yes. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is because this is our Patreon episode for this week. You might not know this, but every Wednesday we do a full episode that's available on our Patreon to our patrons. At the moment, the price of admission to heaven on earth is currently... Currently, $4 a month. That's $1 a week. That's $1 per episode. And not just that, you get ad-free. Mmm, baby. So if you want to get yourself some juicy Patreon episodes once every week, head on over there and sign up. Don't delay. Bye today. All right, guys, today we are jumping into r slash nuclear revenge for an absolute dizzy of an episode. So grab your tea and your popcorn. Get ready for free episodes a week if you're signing up. And let's go. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this sneak peek into the Patreon episodes. I hope you enjoy this, and I hope you hang around for more. If you don't, that's fine too. There's still going to be two free episodes up every week. Our first nuclear revenge story was posted by Tom. In the 70s, a gang beat up my dad and put him in the hospital. So he got revenge on all of them. This isn't my story, but rather my dad's. I know the believability of this might be hard, but I believe this story to be true. My dad was a very nice and hardworking man with some of the greatest patience for bullshit I've ever seen. But he also had a temper that could make an angry moose turn the other way if he was pushed far enough. Well, when this happened, he was definitely pushed far enough. He told this to me after I told him all the things I did to prank evil Mama Bear before moving out of her house. He told me this story once, and only once, about ten years ago, and never spoke of it again. I wrote it down in a journal from memory back then so I wouldn't forget. So I'll try and retell it as best as I can from what I wrote in the journal a decade ago. And if any of you thought my revenge streak I did on my mother before moving out was too much with the gnomes and the laxative, what my father did was much more brutal and probably explains where I got my conniving side from. This story happened in the late 70s. My dad was a young man striking out on his own for the first time. He lived alone in a really crappy part of town while attending college and working at a gas station as a steady job. But the area had a lot of thugs and a lot of violence. There was a group of guys he knew from high school that just loved to mess with him. The first thing they did was spray paint graffiti all over his car, the 68 Chevy Nova. Then they started harassing him every night he was coming home from work or class because they were always hanging around his building. The leader of the gang was a big guy Dad referred to as Ted. Don't know if this was his real name or not. Ted was a relentless bully to several other kids in school. He beat up my dad many times over the years. But in high school, in particular, he hated my dad because Ted failed and dropped out during senior year 
since they wouldn't let him play football with his failing grades anymore. My dad, on the other hand, had finished with some pretty decent grades and got a partial scholarship to a local community college. So to say Ted resented my dad was putting it mildly. And one day, when my dad was going into his apartment, Ted and his gang ambushed him and beat him terribly in a back alley. My dad laid bloody and unconscious in that alley all night. He was found in the morning by an old lady walking her dog and she called for help. He was in the hospital for months with several broken bones and head trauma. And this caused him to lose out on a lot of his college classes and he had to retake them. Of course he told police it was Ted and his cronies that beat him up. But the police weren't very good at their jobs and claimed they had no evidence that Ted did it because he and his friends all supposedly had alibis and there were no other witnesses. Well, that didn't sit well with my dad. He spent some time in physical recovery after getting out of the hospital and then moved to a new apartment with a friend as a roommate. And together, they plotted his revenge on Ted. My dad told me that back then, if police failed you, you took payback into your own hands. Now, a thing of note is that my grandfather on my dad's side worked at the city dump, and he was always bringing things home to collect, donate, fix, resell, etc. My dad helped him out with this a lot, so he learned a lot about fixing and making things. And while with his father at work, he found ways of sneaking into the dump at night. As a teenager, he would sneak in there at night with friends to find stuff they used to build a hidden fort in the woods nearby. My dad said the fort was so well made that he even had a makeshift wood stove that they made out of recycled bricks and a metal barrel to use in winter to keep the fort warm. This is important later. So over a few nights, my dad and his friends snuck into the dump just like they used to in order to look around for things they could use. Bit by bit, they found some old stinky clothes, shoes, and some old wooden baseball bats, and a few other useful things for the revenge. The dump also had an assortment of used tools the employees found in the trash and set aside to use on the site, but also regularly borrowed. So no one really kept track of them. My dad and his friend kept all of the stuff they were going to use hidden at the old fort they made as teenagers near the dump so they had a perfect place to build the tools of their revenge. Next, they made sure they had as solid of an alibi as they could make. My dad and his friends were living on the top floor in an old three-story apartment building and was already well-liked in the building for being handy and fixing a few things for his neighbors. The walls between apartments were kind of thin, so neighbors often heard the comings and goings of people on the same floor. They'd come out to greet my dad and his friends when they came home in the evening. And apparently the building had no fire escape, so the doors were typically the only way in or out. And the main door of the building was generally locked at night with a clerk sitting watch the entire time. They came home, checked in with the clerk, said their good evenings to several neighbors, and then locked themselves in their apartment. They waited until midnight and then used a knotted rope found at a dump to climb down three stories from their apartment window, which coincidentally was right above the dumpster in the side alley. They hid part of the hanging rope behind a gutter pipe 
and then hooved it a few miles to the old fort where they'd hidden what Dad referred to as revenge cycles. He told me they were bicycles that they'd pieced together from junk parts found in the dump that were built and modified using the borrowed tools to have mounts for carrying the baseball bats and a few other things that couldn't fit into backpacks that they needed at the ready without making much noise or bogging them down. They rode the revenge cycles to the bungalow in an old neighborhood where Ted was living with his friends. Those squatting might be the better word. Dad said it was a drug house where dealing was regularly done, which was good in a way because that meant they couldn't call the police unless they wanted to risk exposing their operation. They scouted the area for a few nights to plan their attack, then waited for the perfect opportunity. First, my dad and his friend put on Halloween masks to cover their faces and took a tire iron they bought and quietly removed the lug nuts from two of the wheels that were on Ted's crappy van. Then they spray-painted an insignia that was used by another gang from the area on the side of the van to make it look like this was a rival gang dispute. My dad and his friends then spied on Ted and his gang for hours from the windows using homemade periscopes that were painted dull black so they couldn't be seen. Ted and his cronies spent some time getting drunk and high until Ted got so wasted he went to bed. My dad and his friend waited patiently for Ted to start snoring and quietly snuck into the house through the window of the room he was sleeping in, locked the door from the inside and bolstered it with a chair. Then, in unison, they both bashed Ted's legs multiple times right on the kneecap with the baseball bats. And when Ted tried to cover himself, they bashed his arms too. Then they held him down and emptied a plastic bag of fresh, warm shit they'd both contributed to, making it all over his face before getting the hell out of there as fast as they could because he was screaming. Ted's cronies couldn't get into the room before my dad and his friend were out of there. They ducked into another yard and rode off on the revenge cycles from a different street before anyone saw them. But they heard from other people in the area that Ted's cronies tried to load him into the van to take him to the hospital. But as they got going, the wheels on one side of the van came off and they had to call an ambulance. Both of Ted's kneecaps were so badly broken that doctors said he'd never fully recover and would have to walk with a cane for years. As for Ted's cronies, a few of them got arrested. Police came to the hospital to take a statement from Ted and noticed a couple of them didn't look so good. They asked them a few questions, then searched them. They ended up in the slammer for drug possession, which prompted police to search the bungalow they were living in. But some of the other guys were smart enough to move all the drugs to another location when they thought a rival gang was going after them. So the cops didn't find much. Ted's remaining cronies later got cornered by my dad and his friend the next night when they followed them in their disguises on the revenge cycles to a back alley where they'd been known to regularly hang out and sell drugs. And this time, they brought a gun to hold them hostage with. My dad's friend held the gun while my dad disarmed them all of some knives they were carrying and then beat them up with a bat. After the beatings were over, my dad and his friend claimed to be with a rival gang and told Ted's cronies that if they didn't leave town, they'd get something a lot worse than a simple beating. And for some added incentive, they sprayed one of their feet with lighter fluid and dropped a lit match onto them 
causing the guy to freak out and kick his flaming shoes off. This seemed to work as all of them were gone from the city not long after that. My dad and his friend hit the revenge cycles and dropped the knotted rope from the window into the dumpster below, where they later retrieved it in the morning while taking the trash out and disposed of it. Police, of course, did eventually come to talk to my dad and his roommate, but they claimed no involvement in what happened to Ted. And neighbors and apartment clerks all told them that they never left the building after getting home on those days. My dad and his roommate then let the police come into their apartment to search the place, but they didn't find anything that could be considered evidence as they'd already disposed of all the stuff they used by taking apart the revenge cycles and at night burning the baseball bats, masks and shoes and clothes they wore and the knotted rope in the fort's barrel stove till there was nothing left but ash. As for the gun? Well, my dad said it was never real but was instead a very realistic metal toy gun revolver that looked real enough in the dark to hold someone up. And they got rid of it by tossing it into the dump. The cops were satisfied in the belief my dad had nothing to do with the incidents and just bid them good day. Dad never told anyone else but me and his younger brother that he and his friend did all of that. As for Ted, Dad said he never really bothered anyone again and he ended up eventually leaving town some years later because he was convinced another gang was still out to get him. What happened to him after that, Dad didn't know. I could tell he felt some measure of guilt for what he did back then, but also seemed to feel fairly justified in it as well, since Ted had badly hurt many people around town, just like what he'd done to my dad. So I suppose it was well-deserved on some level. But my dad adamantly told me to never try anything like what he did. And I can't say I blame him. Revenge Cycle sounds like something from a Saturday morning cartoon with epic voiceover and sap. One minute. Introducing the all new multi purpose Revenge Cycle. Needs no alibi. Hides all the evidence. You too can have knee-busting fun with your own revenge cycle. Only three simple payments of $29.95. Get your parents to buy you one now. Batteries not included. Terms and conditions apply. Yes, yes, I know what you're saying. Oh, but you promised there was no ads in this episode. All right, it was satirical, all right? It doesn't count. Read the fine print. Our next one is from Karasu Tepe, AT. Try to strong-arm evict me illegally? Huh. We'll see about that. This happened back in 2010 when I lived in Winter Garden, Florida with my husband and his dying uncle. Background. My husband and I moved in with his sick uncle after losing so much during the 2008 housing market crash in the US, like many of my husband's lawn maintenance customers. We also moved in with his uncle into a condo because his uncle had stage 4 cirrhosis of the liver and his self-entitled sister and her family refused to help take care of him. My husband, a retired Seminole County Sheriff's Officer, important later, and I got ourselves set up in the condo's two-bedroom as his uncle had himself set up in the living room including his bed. On the first day we found dangerous black mold caused by a leaky dishwasher. On the second day, we found the master shower had loose tiles and a leaky showerhead. On the third day, we found a nest of brown recluse spiders in the living room. We talked with his uncle about these problems and found out that the slumlord, friends with self-entitled sister-slash-aunt and her family, were refusing to take care of the issue as required by law. 
We wanted to start legal actions then, but my husband's uncle talked us out of it several times. The slumlord was nice to us so long as my husband's sick uncle was alive. The very next day after my husband's uncle died was a completely different story. Slumlord had turned nasty, aggressive, and began to try and strong-arm evict us like we were nothing more than drug addict squatters. Slumlord even bowed up and aggressively tried to fight my husband when we dropped off our next rent check. He kept telling us that we had to move, or else, but yet refused to follow actual Florida laws to evict us. Slumlord and his corrupt Wintergarden PD code enforcement officer wife even recruit my husband's self-entitled aunt and uncle to start harassing about just moving even if we had to live in a tent. Self-entitled aunt, why don't you and my RSO nephew just move so he can rent the condo to another senior? My husband, well, we don't have anywhere to go yet and he must go through eviction laws or get into serious trouble. Oh, you've been nothing but trouble, retired SCSD officer nephew. You've been problem since the day you were born. Get out of their condo and stop being a problem for everyone. Who cares if you have to live in a tent? All of this made my retired SCSD officer husband, who specialized in uncovering corrupt law enforcement, very suspicious. We talked and began investigating slumlord and corrupt code enforcement wife. My first order was to place all rent into escrow with evidence of repairs that had been neglected. Second, I sent a notification of cease and desist of harassment to the slumlord and self-entitled aunt. Next, I researched public property tax records. Oh, woohoo! Pay dirt there! Slumlord's condo wasn't registered as a rental property with the state of Florida and was paying far less in property taxes than slumlord should have been paying. Property tax records also showed that Slumlord did not own the condo. It was still deeded to his mother, which I found out had been living in a retirement home for five years before my husband's uncle moved in. My husband found out that corrupt code enforcement wife had been inspecting and signing off on hers and Slumlord's properties, including the condo, which is against Florida code enforcement conduct laws. I found out from neighbors in the condo that Slumlord had only been renting to seniors with severe health issues. My best discovery, though, next to tax evasion, was finding out that the Condo Owners Association had a very strict no-renting-slash-leasing policy, meaning you or family had to live in the condo and couldn't be rented. The Revenge Now that we had all of our evidence, my husband and I began to knock down all of Slumlord's dominoes. My husband went and filed a complaint with the Winter Garden Police Department about corrupt code enforcement wife and her perjuring inspections of her family properties. My husband has a glowing record in Seminole County and with the FDLE for having over 200 clean arrests and taking down nearly 60 corrupt public officials, including General Protective Services in the early 2000s. This background helped push WGPD to open an investigation into corrupt code enforcement wife. They discovered that not only had she perjured inspections on her family's properties, but also on her husband's self-entitled aunt and uncle's properties as well. This got corrupt code enforcement wife fired, stripped of her state enforcement officer's license and convicted of multiple crimes. I sent all the property tax fraud evidence to Florida's property tax division. That got the state to investigate Slumlord. 
The state found that not only did he commit property tax fraud on the condo, but also on a property that he was renting to his son and self-entitled aunt's son, along with business tax fraud and income tax fraud. Both Slumlord's son and self-entitled aunt's son were also busted for possession of illegal narcotics with intent to sell when investigators came to the rental house they lived. I never expected that much fraud to be found from all this, but I'm glad it happened. The business tax fraud of Slumlord affected self-entitled aunt and self-entitled uncle as well, since they were his business partners. Self-entitled uncle then came under investigation by the USPS board as he was the postmaster of Winter Garden. Self-entitled uncle lost his comfy job and pension after it was discovered how he was assisting Slumlord in the tax fraud scam and for stealing money orders. All four were convicted of multiple white-collar crimes, had to sell their properties and most of their stuff, serve some form of time, and pay huge amounts of fines and restitution. Slumlord, his wife, hubby's self-entitled aunt and hubby's self-entitled uncle, along with their sons, all went down for multiple crimes, both felonies and misdemeanors, all because they thought they could strong-arm evictus. Just proves how smart we tenants can be when really pushed. Also proves why everyone should know all rental laws and how to research public records. Because it can save you in the end. Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed that cheeky peek at what we hide behind our Patreon. If you want, it's $4 a month. Go and check it out. If you don't want the extra episodes, it's $1 a month just to get ad-free listening. Mmm, peace and quiet. Guys, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as always. If you want to jump on our Discord and say hi. And until next time, guys, peace out. terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience.
Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. Do you enjoy science, spooky stories, and all things paranormal? We do, too. While we would love for most paranormal stories to be true, we are here to tell you that they probably aren't. But that doesn't make them any less fun to speculate about. We are the Spooky Science Sisters podcast. In this podcast, we bring you bi-weekly discussions on possible scientific explanations behind the supernatural. Backed up by research articles and other credible sources, we do deep dives into things like archaeology and physics and share in-depth discussions with topic experts. Visit us at SpookySciencesisters.com to listen to a couple of skeptics debunk some of your favorite alien encounters, cryptid sightings, and ghost stories with science, sass, and a significant amount of laughter. Thank you and stay spooky.